Now we'll seek God's face together in prayer at this time, looking to the Lord again for his, his blessing and strength to be upon us. Again, some, uh, some illness again. Uh, uh, Lars asked prayer for Mandy. Little Mandy's not well, fever and cough. Again, there's some sickness. Abigail Samuel's sick as well. Uh, Lynn Kirsch also not doing so well. Again, continuing to, to cough and be breathless. So pray for these folks again today. We mentioned them some in the past. Uh, let's keep again the people of God in prayer throughout today. Let's call upon the Lord for his grace. Eternal God, thou who art the eternal God, we worship thee. We accept again, O Lord, the revelation that you give of yourself in the word. Thou art the almighty God. We bless thee. We praise your name afresh today on this the Lord's day and the Christian Sabbath. We thank you, dear God, for a day set aside whereby we can come apart from our regular activities, those things that are even legitimate. And yet, O oh God, they, they prevent us from being in the house of God in the place of public praise. And so you and your wisdom have ordained the affairs of man that six days we should labor and this day set apart for the public and private worship of your name. And we seek to do that by your grace today. We want to acknowledge thee in all of the glory of your being. Thou art holy and just. Thou art righteous in all of your ways. Thou art the God of perfect goodness and kindness and love. We bless thee, O God, again for the grace that you've shown to us in Christ Jesus. Wonder of wonders that you gave your begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we submit ourselves again to your word. We pray for grace to understand it. Help us again to be diligent in our consideration of the word and apply it to our hearts today. We do pray for those, again mentioned, who aren't so well today. Remember uh, Mandy Meckler again. We pray your hand upon her uh, just in the fragility of, of of, of youth, we pray that you'd bless her and strengthen her. Remember the family circle. Remember also Abigail, we pray that your good hand would be upon her, that she would be strengthened and, and feel better very soon. And for Lynn, oh Lord, you, you know the nature of her illness, and we pray, oh God, you give much wisdom to the medical staff who will consider her care in the future days. And dear Father, we, we add these souls to others, oh God, uh, across our congregation, some who have been ill, Ill for, for many, many years. Not able to be in the house of God today. Encourage their hearts and refresh us together, O oh God. We thank you for those who can watch on and listen in. And may they also know your hand to be upon them today. Bless the word downstairs as the Sabbath school teachers instruct the young people and the children and things of God. Lead them, O oh God, and may the words sink deep into the hearts of the little ones. That they would rejoice in the goodness of their God and come to know Christ as their own and personal Savior. And so bless our time together in the house of God today. Thank you for the family of God. Enrich us, we pray, in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Now please turn in your Bible to the 90th Psalm, uh, the Psalm 90. Uh, going to take time to read this portion of Scripture together, the Psalm 90. And then we'll come to your studies in the Word of the Lord. The Psalm of Moses, the man of God. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains are brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men, 
For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou cartest them away as with a flood, they are as asleep in the morning, and they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up, in the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. And thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away, and thy wrath we spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are three score years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be four score years, yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let repent thee concerning thy servants, so satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of our Lord be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Amen. This is God's word to your souls today. And again, may he encourage and bless us in the word of truth for his name's sake. And so we have again in, in our recent studies been looking at this matter of the, really the attributes of God, the existence and attributes of our God. And again, in recent times, we've been considering primarily the thought that God is spirit. God is a spirit, a spiritual being. And we looked at various marks of God's spiritual existence. And again, we thought of the various properties. Yes, no body, no parts, a pure, simple, supreme spirit, but also possessing various positive faculties and attributes. And one of the key things regarding God is this possession of life. God is life, has life within himself. And I want to go on further in that aspect of our studies in, in the coming weeks. And what is the nature of that life? And there are several things we can use and is classically used or are classically used to describe the life that is in God. It is eternal. It's eternal. We'll come back to that today. It's also, we tend to use the concept of it's independent, independent life, self-sufficient life. And we refer to that as God's aseity. It's a term, if you're reading these things, you'll see the language of the aseity of, of God, independence. We also talk about God's ideal life, God's ideality. And again, it refers to God's perfection, God's completion as a being, perfect, total Ideal, we refer to God's infinite properties, God's infinite, eternal. And the aspect, again, with regards to space, God is omnipresent, with regards to knowledge, omniscient, again, the infinity of God. And then the last one of these, God is also immutable, the immutability of God's life. These are things that are true of God as this pure, uh, simple, supreme Spirit. But today I want to focus on the issue of God's eternal life. And again, there are, there are various ways. Again, you, you read various 
systematic theologians, and they look at these properties in various organized ways. Some will have one first and see that as the key issue. Others will have different things. But again, first and foremost, when you think of God, God is eternal. He pre-exists time itself. Of course, these are all interconnected. It's not that one's more important than the other. Uh, they're all interrelated properties of our God. But he is the eternal God. All right, he wants to start a question, very simple question. Begin with, who can define God's eternality? We say God's eternal. What does that mean? Anyone try that one? Yeah, Paul, go ahead. Always was, always is, always will be. Okay, absolutely. Anything else, Daniel? Okay, so that's, yeah, no beginning and no ending point. Those are the kind of, the categories of thought that we normally uh, give to God. He has no beginning and he has no end. And in that sense, we are not truly eternal. We have beginning and we will have no end, but we have a beginning. And so only God is truly to be understood as being eternal. And our eternal future is predicated upon God's eternal past language, again, that's not uh, comprehensible, but God has no beginning, and so sometimes we think of God's eternity in the past. He is truly eternal, and that is the foundation of his creation's future eternality. But God is truly eternal. Now, in many ways, this is a, this is a necessary aspect of God. What do I mean by that? Well, we're, we're going to see that this is biblical, okay? We're going to see the Bible. God himself reveals himself as the eternal God. But this is one of the things that even if God had not said that, it would be necessary for it to be true. One of those things, it's impossible for God not to be eternal. And that is because we are here right now. This building is here right now. The trees outside are here right now. And so we often think of these terms, if anything exists then something must have always existed. If there's anything, then there must always have been something. Again, in the evolutionary thought, they have some idea of, of matter pre-existing time with crazy notions. God alone is eternal. But the fact that there is something now, then there must have been something before the now, pre-existing the now. And of course, the Bible shows us that. We understand in, in intelligent design and the creation of the world, we see the personal God of intelligence and the ability and wisdom to design and to establish and form these things. But of course, the Bible does itself deal with these things. In the beginning, that language, in the beginning. Genesis 1.1, John 1.1, in the beginning. Something was there in the beginning. In the beginning, there was no matter but yet God was there before time and brought all things together out of nothing. That is the wonder of God's creative power, and it is, it is a logical necessity. I know the others will try to deny that, but there is, there is something in the beginning, and that something is revealed in the Word of God to be God himself. You turn across to Isaiah chapter 40. Again, to see this language used, Isaiah 40. Yeah, one of the most glorious portions of the Word of God regarding the existence and attributes of God. Uh, various things taught in Isaiah 40 regarding God's, God's being. 
And verse number 25 says this, To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? And he's making the point there is none like God. God alone is supreme. God alone is the one true and living God. Elohim, the creator God, again, who is Yahweh, Jehovah, who speaks again in the, in the word of the Lord. And then you have there verse number 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. See the language? The everlasting nature of God is brought together with his creative purpose. And to that is added the word Jehovah, the capitalized form of Lord. In verse number 28, Jehovah is the everlasting God and he is the creator. But I'm showing you right now that the idea of God being everlasting is tied together with God as the creator. The fact he is the creator makes it necessary that he was everlasting. Truly, above and before time itself. The everlasting creator. And you see that back in our, 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 our reference, our text today, the Psalm 90. And again, you'll see the language used here. I'm just going to again, defend this biblically. We talked about the necessity of God's eternality. It was a very clear biblical language to it. Uh, Psalm 90. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth, Psalm 90 verse 2, formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Again, you, you will note, again, this is one of the kindnesses of God in, in terms of revelation. He uses language from everlasting to everlasting. Those prepositions are really God condescending to our understanding. You can't really speak of from and to in terms of God's eternality. God is in all time at all times. He is in the future right now as he was in the past. He is simply above time itself. But in kindness to us, they understand this. The language is we then go and we speak of eternity past and eternity future. That, that's human language. That's not in terms of how God sees time. That's how we understand time. And so it says, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Then across to Psalm 93 and the verse 2. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. Again, this is taking our understanding a little further. Psalm 90, God is the creator before the mountains were formed. He is there from everlasting to everlasting. But as such, he is supreme and sovereign. Thy throne is established of old. And we wonder, well, we know it precedes or beginning, but how far back does the throne of God go? Forever. From everlasting. The sovereignty, the majesty of God. Again, you have verse number one of that psalm. The Lord reigneth. He hath clothed with majesty. When? Forever. Clothed with strength. When? Forever. The world is established that it cannot be moved. Again, God is sovereign and reigns from his eternal throne in terms of creation and in providence. And then go across to, to Micah chapter 5. And you have in, in Micah chapter 5, 
is well known, of course, for its messianic significance. We know in the Gospels, But thy Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thy be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old. How old is the Son of God? From everlasting. And by the way, this is one of the key proof texts for the deity of Jesus Christ. And that he is indeed not, if you like, a created under God, as the Russellites may teach, who precedes creation. Rather, his preceding creation is eternally preceding creation. He is the eternal Son of God. Again, you know, the, the idea of the, the JWs, they will say to you, well, yes, we understand that Christ, he is the creator, but he's the first of the creation. He, he precedes the physical creation. God made him, if you like, prior to the rest of creation, but he's, he's God-like, but not truly divine. Well, here you, you turn to Micah 5, verse 2, and you say, well, yeah, he's, he's been from of old, uh, from everlasting. That's how old the Son of God is uh, before time uh, began. Of course, John 1 makes that clear. In the beginning was the Word, the Word with God. Again, that's the absolute eternality of the Son of God. We see this in Revelation 4. God was, and Paul used that definition, was and is and is to come. Of course, this is true of all three persons of the Godhead. The Father is eternal. The Son, clearly, in Micah 5, is eternal. And over in Hebrews chapter 9, the Spirit of God is referred to as the eternal Spirit. Very important when you think of the Trinity, you understand, well, the Bible shows there's one God, and yet the Bible describes three persons, all of whom are eternal. Therefore, all of whom possess the attributes of God, the eternality of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But if you turn back to Psalm 90, we're trying to think of this matter of God's eternality, but there is a question that we should ask ourselves. And that is, what is God's relationship to time? I'm going to let you sit in that one for a minute or two. What is God's relationship to time? What language can you use to describe, if somebody says, well, God's eternal, what does that mean? Because we're, we're clearly in time right now. Yeah. Okay, so God works outside of time. If I can put it to you this way, perhaps God is not limited by time or governed by time in the way that we are. Never late, never in a hurry. Time so governs our lives, but God is outside time in that sense. And you rightly quote, you quote verse number four of our, of our Psalm. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. And then, again, in, in wonderful poetic language, he describes the, the grass coming up in the eastern world. It flourishes. The dew of the sky at night brings some growth to the grass, and then by the midday sun, it's all, it's all withered away. How quickly a thousand years passes in God's time. And so God is not governed by time. Of course, that's the application that uh, Peter used in 2 Peter chapter 3, where is the promise of his coming? What's happening there? There are, there are people and they're, they're in Peter's day and they're saying, the Lord's late. He said he was going to come. He hasn't come. He, he must be delaying or he must be late. Peter's response is, no, a thousand years are but as a day. 
That's the sense of God. You know, it's, if we put it this way, it's barely lunchtime in God's timetable. You know, 6,000 years plus have passed, and that's just, just barely lunchtime. Such is the power of God transcending time itself. He does. He's not governed by time. And yet, while that's true, we also see that God created time. So he's, he's the eternal God, not governed by time, and yet, in his wisdom, creates time. And so, in that sense, we can say that the ever-present God is present at all times, in all times. Because he transcends time itself, there's been no time when God has not been, and no time when God will not be. That's the language of who was and is and is to come. And in fact, at times, God is governed by time in some sense, because his will is executed in time, and his will has appointed days. You think of Acts 17, he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world. You think of Galatians chapter 4, in the fullness of time God sent his son. The idea that God has a timetable that he is ordained in his will, and he says, well, this is the day. And so in some ways, there is, uh, even in heaven itself, God saying, the day is coming. The time is coming. This God is above time and doesn't function the way we do, yet has organized this world to function according to time. Now, what's my purpose in all this? Well, it is to try to confuse you. That's exactly the purpose of this. Not to confuse you in the sense of not understanding what God's Word says, but the recognition that we cannot grasp eternity. We have no faculty to properly grasp eternity. We can use words, but our heads hurt the more we think about the eternity of God. I remember, this is one of my first memories as a child, probably seven, eight years old, sitting in church and contemplating what it means for heaven to last forever. And the loss of a loved one, a grandparent, and they're, they're going to be in heaven forever and ever. And every time I kept thinking further and further and further, I came to a point to this point, and that was the end of it. And no, no, that's not it. And you just keep going on and on and on. So what's the application of this? How do we, how do we apply an understanding of God's eternality? Well, what are some of the applications you may bring from this? So we, we, it's beyond our understanding. We get that. But what are some of the applications? If you were to see this in your own, Paul, go ahead. Okay, so awe and reverence. I have, um, I have ITY endings, Paul. It's not your fault, it's my fault, okay? But I have the idea of humility. And that's what I say. You say, we can't comprehend eternity, let alone live in eternity. And yet God comprehends it and has existed in it for all eternity. And so we, we struggle, we try to grasp words that may define the eternity of God, and we fall short in those words. And so, yes, there is that need for humility and reverence. We're going to come this afternoon to Romans chapter 9. You see in Romans chapter 9, the, the objector to Paul's argument to God's sovereignty. And eventually it comes to the point, nay, but O man... Who art thou that repliest to God? Uh, and in everything we see regarding the character of God, we, we understand God is God. 
We are man. And understand how you sit in relationship to this great and glorious God and the need for profound humility when it comes to your attitude and uh, reflection upon the Lord. Well, then I want to turn again to Psalm 90, a second application. In Psalm 90, and this is the language that's used there in verse number 1. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, when I think of dwelling place, I want you to think about the language here of security. The security we have in our relationship with the Lord. The dwelling place. Yes, a place of relationship, a place of provision. But God has been our dwelling place, and note the language, in all generations. And it's the language of in all generations that then provokes verse number two about the everlasting God. It's a sense of God being the keeper of gracious covenant promises in all generations. And you'll see it over Psalm 93 in the verse one. The Lord reigneth. He hath clothed in majesty. The world also established that it cannot be moved. You know, I, th- I think of that and I think of the dwelling place of God in the days of Noah. And the promise of the covenant there. That God, who, who, if you like, entered time in the flood, also entered covenant after the flood and determined that this world would not be destroyed. And God has kept that promise all these years since. We're waiting the day of Christ's return. But God has been the dwelling place in all generations. He's established the world that it cannot be moved. And then look at Psalm 103. Again, some of the language here of God's eternal state. Psalm 103 and the verse number 15. As for man, his days are as grass. And as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it and is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And his righteousness upon children's children. What a hope. What a promise. How long did it take the Lord to redeem Adam and Eve after the fall? We don't really told. But it gives the impression the word of God was very, very quick. The fall is very, very quickly followed by the searching eye of God. Where art thou, Adam? And the clothing of Adam and Eve with the, again, the sacrifice of an animal to give them clothing for them to not know shame, but to know acceptance in the presence of God. I think we're seeing the conversion of Adam and Eve very quickly after their fall into sin. And since then, There has not been one second on this earth when there's not been one redeemed child of God. Not one second. From the days of Adam until this very day, God's covenant faithfulness has been manifest in the redemption of souls from one generation after another. The church of Jesus Christ will never, ever, ever be destroyed. The eternality of God is the guarantee he'll be faithful in all generations. And you think, if you were, if you were a, a genuine believer in the days of Elijah, you may have thought like Elijah did. 
Or if you were a genuine believer in the days, say, in the Dark Ages prior to the Renaissance and the Reformation, you may have thought to yourself, there's no hope in this. I encourage sometimes, just, just for your own study, J. Merrill Daubigny was a historian of the Reformation, and he's written a history of the Reformation. It's free online. You can get the PDF on, online. And in the opening chapter of that book, he describes the saints of God who were true and faithful to Christ prior to the Reformation, through days of profound darkness. And yet he shows the light of the gospel was not extinguished even in the darkest of days. And yet somehow the church of Christ today, we think to ourselves, it's all going to come to nothing. There will be great tribulation. Yes, in every generation, and again, depending on your eschatological thought, there may be a great tribulation still to come. But in all of these things, the elect cannot be deceived, and God's faithfulness is present from generation unto generation. And so pray on, dear child of God. Pray upon the ground of God's eternal faithfulness. There's never been a time when God's mercy has not been seen in this earth, from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness upon children's children. So that's the aspect of security, our, our trust. We can, we can have trust in God. So we, we come with humility and reverence, and we come with faith and trust. The third thing, and this is the most obvious one, back to the Psalm 90. Again, I'm going to point some of these out, and then we'll finish for today. The Psalm 90 has been our text for today. And what is the application in the, the Psalm 90? Well, it is, of course, the application of comparison. And God is eternal, but man's life is marked by brevity. So God's life is marked by eternality. No beginning, no end, no diminishing of his power and resources. The eternal, unchanging, God will see those things. But we, in turn, we are marked by brevity. Verse 4, a thousand years in thy sight. We saw this, the grass groweth and then it withereth. And then, of course, verse number 10. The days of our years. It's that language itself is a profound contrast to God's eternal existence. The days of our years are three score years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be four score years. Yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Verse 12, teach us to number our days. Living our lives with an understanding of our brevity. And so in light of that, there are certain things that we should do. We must seek wisdom. Verse number 12, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Again, of course, that wisdom, you take that line and you go through the Proverbs. You see wisdom is Christ incarnate. You know, Christ is, sorry, Christ is wisdom incarnate. He is the wisdom of God. And we seek Christ and from that we live a life of wisdom we want to live a life not of foolishness, but of wisdom. Our days are brief. Do not waste your time in folly. That's the point. God's eternal. We are not. Our times in this earth is so very, very brief. Do not waste your times on things that don't matter. Get a grasp of the eternity of God's. You say, how foolish I am. I've wasted so many seconds and minutes of days. Again, there's a time to rest and come aside, and our body needs that. We need to sleep. God makes that clear. Sleep is not wasted time. So do not, if you like, bind yourself in some way that you think to yourself, well, I, I've only 24 hours. I just need to keep drinking Red Bull and keep going through the day and on caffeine. No, that's a crazy notion. And yet, 
There are some in the Christian church who have burnt out their lives by not properly caring for their bodies in some misguided zeal. Be careful in these things. But the same point is that we are very, very prone to waste our days. So seek wisdom. Fear and flee God's wrath. Again, it's also there, verse 7, uh, 9 and 11. And the idea here is we're consumed by the anger. I think it's the sense of we're living in this world, a world that is under the curse of God. And so they, even the redeemed of God, they live suffering the impacts of God's wrath. Or, or days are passed away in thy wrath. Again, some of that, of course, refers to sin there in verse number 8. may well refer to personal sin. But the general idea, I believe here, is of the days of our lives continuing in the context of God's wrath. So what's our response? Verse 11, well, who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. We are those who must flee the wrath of God. God knows the past, the future, as well as the now. He knows all of our sins, therefore we must repent and flee from the wrath to come. The eternal God, nothing is hid from him because he's in the past, he's in the future. He knows, again, the depth of the sins of our souls. You've also got then verse 14, which is, if you like, in light of brevity, let us spend our days desiring joy in God and the gospel. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. You don't want to live your brief life without delighting in God's mercy. You want to be in the Word day by day. Show me your mercy. Show me, O God, your covenant faithfulness in Christ Jesus, that I may delight in that today. We don't want to waste one day in misery and bemoaning our lives when we enjoy the grace of God in the gospel. And then also then verse 16 and 17. In light of brevity, let us pray for future generations. Our time on this earth is brief. But verse 16, let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. There's a recognition that our work in the now impacts the now, but also has an impact upon the future. And whilst we will not be there in the future, God will. And so we can pray now for God's blessing upon the days when we will not be here. For God's faithfulness in future generations as long as Christ tarries. These are the reflections of Moses, the man of God. He's taken the thought of God's eternal existence And he's turned it over in his mind. Again, it's a very, very clear example of what we should do with the lights of the doctrine of God. You think, well, God is eternal. I'm not humility. God's eternal. That that means he's reliable in all days. Therefore, we've got security in that. God's eternal. I'm not in the sense of my life in this world being very, very brief. And so, therefore, these various applications that come to Moses as he contemplates these things. So don't stop. Again, some of the things, you, you'll, you'll read some of the great systematic theologians, and they get so far, and then they stop. And that's why I, I, I commend uh, Sharnock's work to you. Sharnock's work is difficult. It's heavy going. 
But he doesn't just simply state Bible truth. He applies it. He goes that stage further and says, here are the uses of these things. Here's the application of this. And that you'd see, well, because of who God is, therefore, this is how I must live in this world. Well, our time is gone. For any questions or comments in closing? I'm just covering that ground very, very quickly. I understand that, but I trust it'll help us today. Uh, maybe use this day well for the glory and honor of God's name. Let's all bow together then in prayer. Please call upon the Lord. Eternal God and Father, we come before Thee. And we recognize, O Lord, that the days of our lives are so very, very brief. Help us, O God, to apply our hearts to wisdom today, to be careful in worship, to honor Thee, to praise Your name. We pray, O God, for grace, the grace that we need to, again, exalt Thee in our ways. We want our songs of praises to be acceptable to Thee, not in vanity, not with the lips only, as we saw on Wednesday night, but coming very truly and sincerely from our hearts. Minister grace to us today to that end. May our times of prayer be sweet, times in the Word. May these things again be a blessing to our hearts. We thank you, God, that you are faithful in all generations. We pray again for the children and the young people of our congregation. May your hand be upon them. May they not turn their backs upon the grace of God, but delight in the mercy shown in Christ Jesus. Thank you for this time together. Continue with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.